welcome to the Recombobulator Lab with Jason Graham Nye and Chris Dominic. Chris J. Dominic. Yeah. Hey, Hi. Jason. What's, What's going, going on? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm buggered. What? <laughs> <laughs> what's going on? What, well, what's... I've kind of hit the, as we say in Australia, I've hit the terps. I've, I've been on the booze. <laughs> I've been drinking. Is this a COVID thing? What, what is this? I, I don't know, but uh, I've been enjoying. I've been enjoying a new libation. Oh, okay. I remember now. You told me that you were struggling. You had like, some wine the other day at like a function, and then you woke up with a real banger, but you didn't have that much wine. It was, was it? yeah. And so it, it got to such a point, whether it was beer or wine, whatever it was, red wine, white wine, whatever it was, I would a headache would come maybe an hour after I drank. Like so, I couldn't even. Oh. Oh, get a it's not even on. a hangover. No, it's like a pre-hangover. It's like, what? hey, hey, I'm, I'm hurting you. Enjoy. You think it's an allergy or something? Well, this is it. So I went to a doctor. It was really interesting. And of course, my friends around me are like, dude, you just you just can't handle your grog anymore. Just get over it. You're you're 50. Move on. But I did a bunch of I did I did do a bunch of blood work and other stuff. And this guy was great. He said, look, there's only one kind of alcohol you can drink. Uh, you you know, there's a whole bunch of wheat in a lot of beer, and that's going to be allergic for you. You've got I think sulfides in wine, some kinds of wine. Right. And so he said, look, you've just got to stick to one kind of alcohol, and that's vodka. And I thought I love leaving the doctor with a prescription for vodka, which is oh, man. which is Only like a seventy-five proof alcohol. So then I thought, okay, I am I am John Vodka, and I have come across a brand of vodka called Vodka O, which is a magnificent Australian brand of organic vodka. Because I'm quite woke, I am a woke alcoholic. Yeah, so you have to have you have to have organic vodka. So it doesn't have any like preservatives or anything funky in it. Is that what the idea? Yeah, is? and it's just oh. the best. And so I test drove it with mates. I was up, uh, I was traveling north, and everyone else was at the bottle shop uh, buying their reds and white wines. And I said, I'm going to have a bottle of vodka. And I worked my way through that over a number of days, and I woke up um, excited, refreshed, 20 years younger. Wow. Just- That's kind of, I got to admit, I'm intrigued. We got to try. So I probably can't get that, though, right? That's probably Australian. Oh, we're going to have to smuggle it into America. We're gonna okay. we'll, we'll send it up there. It'll be fine. I like I like that idea. Okay. Well, we'll have to have some together when I when I get to visit you later in the year after the vaccine. Yes. Thanks to everything. Thanks to our other as yet unannounced sponsors. Oh. Okay. <laughs> I wonder. I wonder. I wonder what that might be. So, uh, I'm sorry. What? Yeah. It's got to be. So. So I. I got to tell you. I thought that this whole discussion that we just had about compulsory voting was completely fascinating to me. And. That does not sound like something that people would say, right? Compulsory voting and fasting, but he just he just has such a completely different take and it's it seems really intriguing. I'm looking forward to sharing Sam Levy's interview with everybody. But because we're talking about forms of government, I thought, well, you know, I'd have to give you a quiz about it. So you ready? This is going to be the systems of government quiz. Oh my god. Can I just tell you right now, if I get one out of five, I'll be pumped. You know what? I think you're going to do well. Oh, I really okay. Do. I cool. do. In what form of government is all property publicly owned? Citizens cannot individually own land. Uh, what form of government? They can't own their own land. No. Uh, Citizens- communism? You are correct. Yay! One head of something. Yay! <laughs> Modern example is China. And, yeah. and uh, I ran this past somebody the other day, and they say, no, you can have a house in China. I'm like, well, you can you can lease the land on the house, and you can own the house. And right now, the, the it's 70 years is your lease on the land. 
Right. But you, you don't get to buy it because the state owns everything. And okay, ready? Mm-hmm. Question number two. What form of government was the most common form of government until the 19th century? Ah, a form the, of government. Oh, a monarch. Yes. Monarchy. Monarchy. monarchy Modern yeah. example, Brunei. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Or the Republic of Ben Buckler, which we can talk about later. Yeah. Well, you just because you made yourself sultan. Yeah. <laughs> self-styled. I'm a self-styled sultan. Oh, I like that way better than a republic. <laughs> By the way, you have not sent me a hat yet, man. Come on. Oh, no. Haven't I? Oh my gosh! No, you keep just flaunting it I'm in my so face. Sorry, I've got a new run of car stickers as well. I'll get the stickers uh, off next week uh, and the cap. And you know what we've done today? We've launched. Today? We've launched a line of Republic of Ben Buckler face masks, and uh, oh, and they are cool. selling really well up at the cafe. I think. <laughs> can you throw one of those in for me? I think I will. Okay. <laughs> I, can, I can. I can Venmo you the money. You know, yeah. we've got, we've, no. we've got, Digital stuff here. No, okay. Venmo, Venmo doesn't work outside America. It's disgraceful. What? I don't, oh. right? You got to PayPal me. You guys don't have Amazon Prime or yeah. Venmo. <laughs> it's a third world country. Is, oh my god! All right, ready? Here's another one. This is number three. You're you're two for two, man. This is getting mm. scary. What is the name for government by divine guidance or by officials who are regarded as divinely guided? God, Catholicism, Buddhism, <laughs> God, a religion. <laughs> It's a Wait, form of uh, government. It's a form, a of, form government. of government driven by religion. Yeah. So what's How the interesting? Name for what's the name for that? Um, I have no idea. Theocracy. Oh, that's good. Where's it's Where's a theocracy? theocracy? Modern example is Iran. Oh, oh, of course. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. Yep. All right. Number four. Ready? What is the name for a political system for choosing and replacing the government through free and fair elections, citizen participation in politics and civic life, protection of the human rights of citizens, and rule of law? What was the first part of the question? I'm so sorry. What is the name for a political system for choosing oh. and replacing the government through free and fair elections? Democracy? Yes. Examples, America and Australia. Yes. Yes. All right. So here's a a little fun number five question. What countries have compulsory voting? In other words, not voting in these countries is unlawful. Yeah. Australia and, oh, there's maybe two others, I think. Uh, Switzerland? Oh, I'll give you an example. Of this. I'll yeah. tell you this. There's five. Oh, okay. Uh, so I've got one for five in Australia. Mm-hmm. New Zealand? Mm-hmm. I'll say New Zealand. You know, they're not on the list. Like maybe I'm Oh, wrong. no, no. Oh. Okay. Australia, Luxembourg, Uruguay, Costa Rica, and Belgium. There you go. Wow. That's cool. That is kind of weird, though, if that's true about New Zealand. I thought you guys were like the same in every possible way, including your flag. No. <laughs> You didn't take the bait at all on that. No, no. I was just, I just, I mean, what? I put that on a T. Okay, I, here we I, go. I rise, I rise above it. I rise above it. You really did. You really, <laughs> I, your discipline has grown, and that kind of disappoints me. Okay, you can be. This is number six. You can be arrested and do jail time for skipping out on jury duty in the United States. True or false? True. It is true. In the United States, if you are an adult female with no income, your only duty of citizenship is to serve on a jury. If It's true. And as we're going to learn, well, set this up a little bit. One of the fun things about Sam is that you guys go way back, right? We go way back. We were just going through old school photos from nearly kindergarten, junior school. I mean, we would have been like six, five, seven years of age. So he has Mm -hmm. American parents who are academics who came out to Sydney and uh, taught at Sydney University, I believe. And I was at school with him all the way through and we partnered up at the end. So we we organized the school formal, which is like our prom. That was hilarious. We did our school yearbook, which was a great creative fun thing to do with Sam. And uh, he did his 
his university here and then headed to New York and is a super successful Broadway producer. But, and he's, since the beginning of time, he's just had such a massive brain on him. So it was such a thrill to have a conversation with him. Yeah, absolutely. He pinged you, I think, right after episode one when you put up your top five, right? Mm-hmm. And you, two of your top five was uh, compulsory voting in Australia. It's one of the good things about Australia and bipartisanship. And he has a slightly different take on it as somebody who's lived in America for a long time and grew up in Australia, even though I guess he was born in, in the United States, right? Yeah. 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 That's fascinating. Yeah. So now we're about to experience what it's like when a jury consultant, a diaper executive, and a Broadway producer go into a bar. Exactly. Here we go. All right. So today I'd like to introduce our guest who is Sam Levy. He's born in America, but raised in Australia. And I was lucky enough to go to school with him for, I don't know, 13, 15 years. Uh, he's now based in New York and he's an incredibly successful Broadway producer. So he's a Tony Olivier Drama Desk and Drama League Award winner. Uh, he's co-produced Come From Away, which was nominated for seven Tony Awards in 2017, including Best Musical. He's also recently co-produced The Ferryman by Jez Butterworth, which was awarded Best Play at the 2019 Tony Awards and is part of the producing team on the new musical hit, Six. He's worked with the likes of Lee Schreiber, Jim Parsons, Bradley Cooper, Tom Hanks, Bette Midler, Eddie Redmayne, Alfred Molina, Jude Law and Jane Lynch. Both Come From Away and Six will reopen this year in the US, the UK, and even down here in Australia. So with that, welcome, Sam. Welcome, Well, thank you. Very nice to meet you, Chris, and lovely to talk to you, Jason. The genesis here is, uh, in an early episode, Chris and I are exchanging the goods and the bads of our respective countries, and I was speaking a little bit about how I like two particular aspects of Australia, bipartisanship and compulsory voting, and Sam sent me an email. And sausage sizzles. And sausage sizzles. Well, who doesn't like it? <laughs> exactly. Who doesn't like free sausage sandwiches that to get you out to vote? But that this is the this is why I've got Sam on today because he sent a fantastic and brilliantly thought through response to those two particular aspects with a different point of view. So we wanted to bring him on. But before we dive into that, I really wanted to know Sam as someone who I've known for so long and has been living in New York for many years. How are you? And how is New York City? Ah. <sighs> Look, I'm mostly fine. I mean, like a lot of people, I think this year has been a mix of a lot of downs, some ups, a little, you know, sadness and revelation and and some inspiration. So probably much of a muchness and like life in general, just probably a little magnified. As for New York, look, it's different. It's certainly not what it was like in February uh, 2020 and probably not like you remember it the last time you were here. But huge metropolis, um, it's incredibly diverse population, so I'm reluctant to generalize. I remember hearing your thoughts after Jason specifically went out of his way to say two of the things he thought were so great about Australia was bipartisanship and compulsory voting. But you had a different take, and I'd love to hear what you what your take is. Look, I, I want to preface this by saying, you know, I, I as Jason said, I, I grew up in Australia. I consider myself an Australian. I'm an Australian citizen. Um, the the Australian political system and compulsory voting uh, are articles of faith in Australia and people have no interest or desire to remove compulsory voting from the equation. For me, I should start by, by saying that. I would also add that I do think Australian politics are more bipartisan than American politics. And where I disagreed with Jason perhaps was where it was placed on the good list. And, and I felt that bipartisanship isn't inherently a good thing. One of the things that I found frustrating about Australia is the fact that since the mid-1990s, when the US was sort of moving into the Clinton years, 
we had just come out in Australia of 13 years of, of the Hawke-Keating government. And this was a sort of mildly progressive left of centre government that, that had been in there for 13 years. So that's my benchmark. That's, that's what I think of as Australia, is Keating as sort of being the establishment. And then while the United States was moving into the Clinton years, I think a lot of the things that the conservative Howard government did pushed progressivism to fade away. And ultimately, when I try to figure out, well, where are the problems? Why has that happened? Why is Australian fundamentally, Australia become fundamentally what I consider more conservative over the years? I think that bipartisanship and compulsory voting, which are these articles of faith, have potentially become part of the problem. So basically, in my view, bipartisanship is what happens when you have two ideological or policy outlooks that are close enough together that compromise can be reached across a vast majority of elected representatives. So it can be good, but it's not inherently good. And I think it's important to separate bipartisanship from the ability to govern in a constructive and non-obstructive way, because what's been happening in the United States for the last 20 years is non-functional. But that's because of one political party. I, I genuinely believe that division and polarisation aren't inherently a problem. They're a reflection of two very different political parties that represent two very different worldviews. And in a two-party system like the United States or Australia's, that polarisation isn't a terrible thing. Bipartisanship ultimately is sort of a tacit endorsement of a status quo. And if you have two political parties and a two-party two system that are constantly agreeing on substantive policy matters, you have a level of homogeneity that I don't think is good for democracy and good for progressive government. I believe that compulsory voting continues to that, con sorry, contributes to that homogeneity. And it's all wrapped up in this sort of cloak of, of bipartisanship. Compulsory voting has been used as an argument towards bipartisanship, but I remain sceptical. And, and I think it's really important that we remember when a politician says that they will compromise on legislation, when they said they will be bipartisan, we should always ask on whose backs they're compromising. It's very often women or marginalised groups or minority groups who take on the largest share of that burden and not the politicians who are actually negotiating or the majority who votes for them. So when you think like, I'll give you foreign aid if you ban funding for reproductive health, that is a compromise most likely being made by men on the backs of women and poor people. So it's the out of the possible, but that's not inherently good. That's by the ship. I, I, I can expound for hours on compulsory. <laughs> I, I, but I get frustrated living in the States for 10 years and watching the effort and energy to get out the vote and the trick or vote thing that would happen around Halloween every four years or every two years. And I just remember thinking, God, the effort to get these people to participate in democracy in a country where they rave on about we're the greatest country in the world and we have this most amazing democracy. And it's like, yeah, but only half of you actually participate. That sort of got me frustrated. And I agree. That's incredibly frustrating. Although I would argue that the that the way that you get voters to come out to vote is by finding things that little by little are going to get people to come to the polls. And that is inherently a good thing, that if I am a single-issue voter and all I care about is, you know, chocolate, someone is going to have a chocolate policy that is going to get my seven friends to come out and vote for them. I don't like lots of things about it, but I also believe it contributes to good outcomes. 
Woods. I guess what I'd like to know, Sam, is what what does this look like for you? Like, I mean, how does it work? Because it sounds really cool, but how does what you're talking about lead to something better? I guess I maybe I don't know the examples of what's gone backwards in Australia or what you think has changed. Well, look, I mean, I, I, I think it is hard to, again, make generalizations. What I looked at in Australia was that it was one of the last countries to legalize gay marriage in the West. I wasn't aware of that. When, when was it? Jason, what was it, like two years ago now? Two years ago, and it was disgusting. Oh. The, the, the conversation you and I have had, Sam, leading up to this today, I've spoken about that to many people, about how how disgraceful that process was, led by Tony Abbott, who was the leader. Is that oh. true? Although, and Malcolm Turnbull as Malcolm, well. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> No, well, it's. I think it's interesting because I think foreigners who look at Australia think we're young and free and cool and hip and progressive, and actually the reality is we're none of that. It's extraordinary. Even cannabis, right? Like living in Portland and seeing cannabis get become legal and seeing the the greens, the green cross, the dispensaries mm-hmm. just go yeah. everywhere. They're moving back to Australia and going, oh yeah. Huh, not here, right? Like oh. it's really interesting. Well, and I just saw Cuomo said that New York is going to move in that direction right away. Yes, for all the wrong reasons, but nevertheless, <laughs> to the right decision, it just takes him longer than everybody else, and he mm. does it for the wrong reasons. <laughs> So your take is, and let me make sure I get one premise of this straight. Your thinking is if if the voting wasn't compulsory, then it would force the political parties to have to find ways to get out the vote at some level. Correct. Is that the Yes. That's exactly right. To me, that's a very good example. It was funny because I was thinking about this conversation and I was thinking, you know, because I spent a lot of time in my own head. I I had an ongoing list in my head of, you know, the, the top 10 American exceptionalisms that turned out to be lies and the top 10. <laughs> you, need to, you need to come yeah. back on the show. Yeah. <laughs> I want to hear yeah. that. I know, that sounds pretty good. And the funny thing is the list keeps changing. Your take is inherently, fundamentally anchored to the idea that if you want to move society in a progressive direction, that it slows it down. Correct. And, and, and I believe that the right to vote should be paired with the right to not vote, that that is democracy. If you really talk about having voices heard, somebody sitting out a vote is is part of that. And I think this is what we're seeing in the United States. Again, that huge turnout that we've seen, the largest turnout was people saying, okay, I have something to say this time. And sometimes they don't. And sometimes, you know, they feel not represented by any party. But that's not the real reason for me. The real reason is that I believe that we get better outcomes with uh, with non-compulsory voting. And I think that we look at the United States often as this great big disaster, but compulsory voting only happens in Australia, really, in terms of Western democracies. There are other countries that have done perfectly fine without... It partly comes down to sort of, you know, if, if you're in a duopoly and everybody has to purchase something from the duopoly. So we'll call it car insurance. If you're mandated to purchase car insurance and you have a duopoly, the only thing that those two insurance companies are going to do is focus on price. None of them are going to focus on innovation. None of them are going to focus on service. 
None of them are going to focus on trying to do anything but take that little bit of the 4% market share in the very, very centre. That is the Australian political system. That's fascinating. Well, Jason, what do you have to say for yourself? I'm disgusted and I'm ashamed and I'm just going to check off now. Thanks very much, everyone. See you next week. (laughs) So, So, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm going to guess, Sam, that it's your neat, unique experience in life that probably provides this perspective growing up in Australia. And, and how long have you lived in America now? On and off for 30 years, um, but consistently yeah. for the last 20 five or so. Mm-hmm. Have you been in New York the whole time? No, I, I lived in San Francisco for a while and Los Angeles for a while as well. But it's ultimately where my business took me. And and I want to make clear that that I don't think Australia I, I poor Jason because now he's gonna I, I feel like I, I I'm sounding anti Australian and while I have no problem with people being anti Australian, that's not it. I, I deeply, deeply love what my upbringing was in Australia. And I look to people like Jason and I look to my friends who are raising their kids in Australia and I totally understand why with any sort of comparison it makes good sense. It's a wonderful country. It's just that when you start believing your own exceptionalism, we know what happens. We're seeing it in the United States. And I feel that that's what has happened in Australia. They haven't had a recession in 30-something years until just now. It, in some ways, there's lots of things about Australia that are exceptional, but there are lots of the parts that people assume are goods that, again, I just don't see the data for. Maybe if you conservative compulsory vote. I mean, the irony, if you're a conservative, compulsory voting is great. I've talked politics with a variety of people over the years, and this is this subject has literally never come up. <laughs> I think it's I think it's I, I, but I think it's really fascinating. And, and I, I'm really curious about it now. And so I'm really glad that you brought this idea to us, Sam, because it's a fascinating perspective. I have to ask, what's one of the myths about your field that you'd love to debunk? One of the things that has been surprising, and I I'm going, to, I'm going to take this on a slightly meta level, if that's okay. Yeah. I, I want to pull back on Broadway and talk about the performing arts because I think that there has been a perception, certainly again in Australia, and it's not really different here in the United States, despite pockets in Sydney and Melbourne and, and New York and Los Angeles, that the arts are all a bit frivolous and, and not real business and that they mm-hmm. have to fight by money and, and economic impact or economic growth. And the reality is, is what we've seen in COVID is that there, and I, and I say, it, I don't think there are good reasons to live in cities if you don't have the arts. That's the first thing. Cities not only rely on the arts for all of the economic impact that they provide, but they also make cities worth living in. Because if you take away the arts, you take away the theatre, you take away the museums, well, then you're just living in a very, very crowded, overpriced Ballinar or, or someplace <laughs> that's an Australian town. Um, but, you know, Peoria, that, that the arts has been something that has long been marginalised. And I think since COVID, we've not only seen that people flee the cities because there isn't necessarily anything to keep them there if, they're, if they don't need to actually show up at work. But the second thing is, is also the economic impact is not just about the economic impact in dollars. It's an economic impact that is the primary driver to get people to come to cities even as tourists. 
and that we have been told by Governor Cuomo numerous times that when they open the theatres, that will be the signal that tourism is back and that people are welcome to come to New York. It's part of the reason why we're not opening as quickly as we might and have in other places. As Cuomo is saying very clearly by not letting us open, we don't want people to come back in here. So mm. I don't know myth that, that has been sort of constructed, but, but it's one of the things that I grew up with in Australia and I think lots of Americans grow up with as well, which is that, yeah, the, the arts are frivolous and that it's not real work. And I think what we've seen is that Broadway and theatre has drives the ecosystem for so much, whether it's hotels and tourism or whether it's Netflix and Hulu and your television and your podcasts, it comes from people who have worked in the arts. It is great. I remember sitting with Sam and he was explaining to me how the whole production of a show works. And it, 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 it was like a startup. As an entrepreneur, it's a startup where you raise the capital, bring the people in, create the story, go live, get the ticket sales in. And at the end of it, you might have made some money. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. Fascinating. Yeah. I did want to go a little bit vacuous on you. When we introduced you at the top of the hour, <laughs> You have worked with some massive, massive Hollywood stars. So a couple of questions. One is, I remember, I think when you were working with Tom Hanks, that that the draw of having someone from Hollywood on stage is significant in terms of sales of tickets. That's true, correct? That is absolutely true. Got it. And and that must increase your cost structure pretty significantly. Yes, although I don't think anyone works on Broadway of that magnitude. Somebody like Tom Hanks or let's say Bette Midler does it for the money. Mm. They certainly, you know, their agents will extract their pound of flesh. But most of the people who are that successful and in that sort of stratospheric world of, of, of Hollywood they come in and they do it because they love the theatre. They want the discipline. They want to hone their craft. You know, Tom Hanks is a, is a great example because Tom, when he was doing Lucky Guy here in New York, he, he took very little money, you know, probably his, his meal allowance. And on top of all of that, um, he took the subway every day. Wow. No car service for Tom. God, he seems like that, actually. Yeah. What are you working on next that maybe some of our listeners might be able to partake in? Because I can tell you, I know plenty of people that are planning on going somewhere and seeing shows when uh, the vaccine's out there. Well, God love them. Um, and we need them. And I, I mean this seriously, that to, to go out and support your arts community, whether that's in the form of, of going to a concert or going to some live music or going to an art museum or a gallery or any of that is is absolutely essential. We have in the arts here at the moment about 50% unemployment, and that is going to take a long time uh, to come back and it yeah. back in fits and starts. Um, but you are in the very fortunate position that at least Jason is, that the show Come From Away, which ran very successfully in Melbourne last year, is reopening in Melbourne on January 21st uh, before heading to Brisbane in March and then uh, opening in Sydney at the Capitol Theatre in June. Tickets are on sale. And then uh, Six, which is the other show I've been working on, that that is going to be coming back to Australia in the second half of this year. Um, we're not able to confirm dates yet, but we are working on it as we speak. Um, and they're both really fun shows. Well, my mother my mother bought me tickets to come from away for Christmas. So thanks, Mum. I'm going. I can't wait. And this, these shows, yeah, I'm very excited. Um, Excellent taste. 
Yes. I've known her all my life. (laughs) (laughs) Love mom. She's the best. Well, Sam, thank you so much for coming on and talking with us. This has been so enlightening for me in particular. (laughs) Jason, Jason already knew all this stuff. I didn't. So. No, Listen, thank you guys so much for having me. And, I, uh, you know, again, if we ever want to go through the list of Australian and American exceptionalism, I'm always happy to do it. I do think it's really important to, to sit down and look at what we think we are and actually then try to figure out whether we are that. And, and that's something that, that you guys have been very helpful doing on a lot of the, the topics you guys have run. So congratulations. Well, thank you, Sam. Thank you for the support. Sam, that's great. Thank you so much. All right. Wow. I had this guy has given a lot of thought to this. I mean, wow. Yeah. He, yeah, gigantic brain. Yeah. And this is nothing new to you, is what I'm getting. Right? Yeah. So, no, it's so you, great. You catching expected up with this. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> He's wow. So good. Unbelievable. Wow. All right. Well, what do you got coming up soon? Just another day in paradise down here. Not much to oh, report. Stop it. <laughs> How about you? What's going on up there? You know, actually, it's been kind of busy, which is crazy in terms of work and things like that. It's starting to feel a little bit, at least for me, like we're getting past things, even though we're not. I mean, it's Mm. it's really, you know, looking out and seeing how bad everything is everywhere. Mm. I mean, I'm still doing all my work basically in the house. Well, you can hold the suck for a second because we are (laughs) in the the wettest summer ever, which is sort of a relief for our farmers. Oh, yeah. This time last year, we lost hundreds of thousands of... Koalas and other amazing animals and lives were lost and the, yeah. the bushfires were epic. So in, in that sense, it's a relief. But um, here's a very wet summer holidays here. The kids are on school holidays and uh, we're getting back into work this week. And uh, it is, yeah, the strangeness continues. It's, it's pretty odd. Yes, it sure is. Well, all right. We've got some cool stuff coming up. So everybody, we are really, really impressed with the support we've been getting. And we just want to continue to thank you for all of your reviews and for passing us along to people. It's It's been really, really great. So please continue to support us uh, and we'll keep bringing the good stuff. Absolutely. Thanks for your support, everyone. Please Please like us, comment, et cetera, et cetera. We appreciate it. Yep. Yep. All right. See you next week, everybody. See you. Thank you for joining us at the Recombobulator Lab with Chris Dominic and Jason Graham Nye. Catch you next time.